the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You're lucky, Dean. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome to the second half of Armchair Politics, part two, if you will, of today's pre-Thanksgiving edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. And uh, joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars, uh, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki, on the left. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome to you as well. Thank you. And, of course, we usually have someone in the third chair, but they've already uh, took off and, and headed home for the holidays or what, <laughs> whatever, whatever caused it to be uh, difficult to fill that spot for today. But I mentioned uh, we were going to talk about um, redistricting and its impact on the upcoming election. A conservative state senator announced his intentions Monday to run for a U.S. House seat, setting up a potential challenge against an incumbent lawmaker in a newly created congressional district. In a Facebook video announcing his bid, Senator uh, Tom Barrett, a Republican from Charlotte, blasted President Joe Biden's handling of the military withdrawal from Afghanistan and federal labor rules requiring many workers to be vaccinated or submit to regular tests. Barrett is a one-term senator who served in active duty and part-time as a helicopter pilot in the U.S. Army for 21 years. The Iraq War veteran has gained attention in Michigan for championing legislation to remove pandemic powers from the Whitmer, uh, Whitmer administration and his frequent verbal jousting with Democratic colleagues. My question isn't so much about his campaign, but will the playing field be leveled for newcomers challenging incumbents who are running in new districts? Well, I, I think we're going to see a lot of that. And, and I mean, there, there's a lot of there's several varieties of maps I've seen, so nothing is quite set in stone yet. But I, I think you're going to see many districts becoming much more competitive. I'm struck because I take a look at the one here, and 
in the Flint area, the 5th District for, for Dan Kildee, at least the maps I have seen, suggest that uh, as they, he, he needs to expand his district and pick up, I think the number was something like 70,000 more people or maybe maybe a little more than that. And to do that, he's going to have to pull in Republican districts like Lapeer County or Shiawassee County or Northern Oakland County. And Kildee has won rather handily in the past, but if you pull in some of those areas, it could become much more competitive for him, who's, who's long been a very safe Democrat. And I think the same thing could happen for a lot of others around the state, too, who've had generally safe seats and will probably find them more competitive. And that opens the door to, to challengers. Yes. <clears throat> uh, Kilby is concerned about that, uh, about how the, the new district that they're considering a drawing uh, will affect his his uh, campaign for re-election. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've seen a couple versions. Often. Yeah. Yeah, but at least the, most of the ones I've seen include Lapeer County. Uh, like I say, some, some of them include Shiawassee County. Uh, some reach up a little bit in the Saginaw County, a little bit. But uh, as I say, it, uh, if, if it, he, may, he may still have a workable advantage, but it's certainly going to be, I think, a more competitive district than he's had in the past, where he's typically won most November elections, general elections, by 60, 65% of the vote much of the time. So that it may be a much much smaller margin this time around. I, I suspect. We'll see. Well, on a related note, uh, while the loudest criticism against a GOP effort in Michigan to change the state's election laws has targeted its proposed strict voter ID rules, Clerks worry that the Secure Michigan Vote Petition Initiative would usher in other far-reaching changes. The initiative would require clerks to pay churches that serve as polling locations, according to organizers. Estimates indicate places of worship accounted for roughly a fifth of polling places in 2020. Those leading the petition drive say it would also bar clerks from partnering with non-government uh, groups to carry out election-related activities such as registration drives. Clerks say the initiative also could subject voters to confusing ID rules riddled with contradictory requirements and force election officials to remove online access to absentee ballot applications and turn down help from volunteers who carry out basic tasks such as preparing absentee ballot mailings. Are election reformers fixing something that isn't broken? Uh, that's been my view for a long time. Could, could they be attempting things. to fix elections in their favor? Oh, I, I think in, in the... Sh yeah, I, I, I have to go along with you. Go ahead. Oh. Yeah, I heard, I heard some, some background there. Yeah, I think in the short run, the, the things they propose would probably help Republicans... And they're the main ones proposing these things. However, in the long run, as I've suggested in the past, if you look in the past, absentee ballots especially have generally been favorable to Republicans. That wasn't true in 2020 or 16, but in earlier years, that was always kind of Republican territory. So if you, by making absentee ballots more difficult to obtain and all that, it may not always help the Republican Party. But again, I think in the short run, 
clearly what they're trying to do would, would, would probably help Republicans based upon the results of the last couple of elections. But there are other things that's favorable to Democrats, like, for example, immigration, stuff like that. And I think that that's a reaction, basically, that Republicans are having to counteract the effects of new people coming in through immigration. Well, um, that, that yeah, could be probably, yeah. On, on a national level, certainly. Um, another 150,000 Michiganders with driver's licenses previously suspended because of unpaid tickets, fees, or other driving-related issues are now eligible to pursue legally driving again, according to a news release Thursday from Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. Benson's department continues to go through state driving records after the Michigan legislature adopted laws that banned revoking driving privileges for such offenses. The laws took effect in October, paving the way for drivers to apply for new licenses or to reinstate their licenses. The state is sending a letter to everyone who is newly eligible for a license, explaining how they can obtain a license. Those letters are going to uh, addresses previously on record with the state. If you believe you are eligible and have not received a letter or want to get a history of your driving record, go to michigan.gov forward slash SOS clean slate. Um, what's an appropriate punishment to replace driver's license suspension and revocation for qualifying legal infractions? I would think fines would probably do it, but, I, but you know, when I, when I heard that, I was really struck by it. It strikes me as a good idea in large part because when you lose your license, that can cost you your job, depending on what you're doing. But that could be a very severe penalty for a lot of people in a lot of situations. It's not just that you lose your right to go out for a Sunday afternoon drive. You may not be able to go to work, and the implications of that are huge. And the implications of people who lose their license are generally people with um, income set under $50,000 with a family and stuff like that. And uh, they are the ones that suffer most. They can't pay their these fees. Yeah. And so they go out and take risk. And to me, that's not good public policy if you don't find a way uh, to either, um, um, you know, modify how we punish people that way. And, and I know that um, uh, the law... Uh, that exist, we have to follow, but somehow we got to change those laws so they're, they're they're realistic and so that they don't punish people just just because you get go out and you get a ticket and and, and the ticket costs you a couple hundred dollars, you may not have that hundred dollars, and then they demand the money right away, and that creates a tremendous amount of stress on families. So and and it's possible the, if you don't pay that fine. To then have your driver's license revoked. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And and that creates an even greater burden on trying to raise the money to pay That's the exactly original right. fine. Yeah. We're all on the same page. If we can sympathize with those people, maybe we can find a way out of it or change the behavior of the people who are well, encountering. A lot, of, a lot of these things. Thing. A lot of these things, and I think that's why. Um, 
I, I think uh, members of the GOP got it right in the legislature when they said, yeah, anything but taking somebody's uh, driver's license. And um, I, I would suggest in place maybe um, just community service for these right. kinds of administrative infractions, you know, not, not paying fines, uh, um, driving dirty, as they call it, when you uh, can't afford to pay for insurance, but you drive anyway. Um, Especially true in Detroit. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's, it's true around Genesee County. I know people that don't have driver's license and they're still driving. Yeah. You know, I, I'm always also struck uh, when I, I when you're driving along at night and you see somebody in, in, in horrible weather and in, in the dark riding a bicycle. You wonder why are they doing that? And I suspect it may be the case that you just either yeah. haven't got a license and can't can't, can't uh, you know can't, can't drive a car, but they've got to get to work, so they are out there in the rain riding in the riding their bike in, in very dangerous conditions. We got to have uh, government and police departments are more sensitive to those kind of needs of people. You not only uh, punish that man that's driving without a driver's license or that woman, but you punish their families, and their families can't do anything about it, and they themselves become problematic. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's, that's a, the idea of, of revising that in some way. It makes a lot of sense for all kind of reasons. Uh, well, I, I just I think there needs to be an alternative for these kind, especially for these kinds of administrative infractions. You know, not not having insurance, having expired plates. Um, you know, right. not being able to pay a ticket within the, the allotted time. You know, for those kinds of things, I, I, I think maybe rather than ratcheting up the dollars that have to be raised to cover those costs or taking away people's driver's licenses, maybe maybe the answer is community service. Yeah. Yes. Maybe yeah, that sounds better. Maybe we could put some people to work on, you know, fixing roads. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a number of infrastructure projects that could use a little yeah. attention. Yeah. But then, you know, if you try that, guess what? The unions will oppose that. Uh, I recall there was a time when they, uh, uh, kids were cleaning up along the river, pulling stuff away from banks and cleaning up all of that. And then there was uh, a criticism. I have a strategy for that. Union groups. Yeah. That they're doing our work. I, and, I have uh, a strategy for that, for the, uh, um, the, for the first people to get this sort of alternative sentencing. Uh, pick people that are members of unions. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an idea. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. their members are benefiting from the program, maybe they'll ease up a little bit. we got to ease up and take a short break and let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. And we'll be back with more Armchair Politics with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, right after this.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? Mm. It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program. After more than 25 hours of deliberations, a 12-person jury acquitted Kyle Rittenhouse of all five charges he faced after fatally shooting two people and wounding a third during protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin last summer. Joseph Rosenbaum, 36, and Anthony Huber, 26, were killed, and Gage Grosskreutz, now 27, was wounded. Uh, Rittenhouse was charged with five felonies, first-degree intentional homicide, first-degree reckless homicide, attempted first-degree intentional homicide, and two counts of first-degree reckless, or recklessly endangering safety. The two-week trial, which captured America's attention and was in many ways emblematic of the divided nation, featured testimony from more than 30 witnesses, including Rittenhouse himself. Uh, video clips from the night of the shootings and heated exchanges between the attorneys and the judge. And while the jury's decision drew harsh criticism from the victim's loved ones, legal experts say they were not surprised by the verdict. Does this case have racial implications, despite the fact that the alleged shooter and, and the victims were all white? Yeah, well, I, it doesn't look apparent right away. But it does, yeah. Uh, because uh, uh, black Americans fear for the lives of anybody that I'm sure most of them do feel that a loss of life due to a reckless individual with a gun is a bad thing. And that's how they should feel. They they should not think that everything is about race. But they got to look at other things there. They got to look at what good public policy and human for humanity. And, you know, I was surprised when President Trump came out and said, at first I was surprised, that justice was done. But I had to think about that a while. And think about, well, what the heck does he mean justice is done? And a person's life is lost recklessly through reckless discharge of a firearm. But then I thought, the law says that when you commit a crime... You had to be tried by a council of your peers, and they will render a verdict. And in this case, a verdict was uh, decided. Uh, and we might not like the verdict, but was he tried by a council of his peers? Yes, he was. And they came up with a jury, a, a verdict of not guilty for reasons that he had a right to carry his arm. But if someone decided to take that away from him in certain states, he could defend himself. So this stuff is all so convoluted. But after you think deeply about it, I think we could, we just have to live with that decision. Yeah, because he was right in a better way. I, I can't say that I was shocked by the outcome. As the, as the trial developed and you saw what the prosecution did and didn't do and how the judge reacted, I, I wasn't totally shocked by the outcome of that. However, in terms of the racial issue, I'm struck by the fact that uh, one question you often hear asked is, you know, what, what if the guy was walking around with a gun 
was a black guy. Uh, would he even survive enough to go to trial? Uh, or And what would happen at the trial? Would you have dramatically different results if yeah. you had uh, an African-American walking around with a gun in the middle of that and, and shot somebody? Yes. That, there's the danger. There, there's the problem. Other people are weighing the American justice system, and they're deciding whether it is a system that they would like to adapt for themselves all around the world. And and some more, we just got to... But, but I think that it was carried out when he was uh, judged by um, counsel of his peers uh, and found not guilty. Well, that's what the justice system is. That's the end of it right there. If you're found guilty. That has happened many, many times in in this country uh, where um, the outcome was against uh, black individuals, and it was uh, it was biased. But sure. in this case, it, it was the same kind of system, but it happened against white. But blacks see that as a yeah, as a is it significant dilemma. That, is it significant that those victims may have been um, protesting alongside black people? Um, because that whole that whole protest was a Black Lives Matter type yes, event. Yes. That's what makes it strange. Well, here's some uh, legal wrangling that has me scratching my head. Um, former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows blasted House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy's leadership style on Thursday, suggesting that if Republicans win control of the House next year, the party should install former President Donald Trump as its next <laughs> speaker. Meadows, a Republican from North Carolina who was serving in the House before Trump picked him to be his top aide in 2020, said in a separate appearance on a podcast hosted by Trump ally Steve Bannon that he would love to see the gavel go from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to Donald Trump. Could that happen? Are there any precedents for this? I think legally it could. I'm not sure there's any precedent, but I, I, I have read that you do not have to be a member of the House to be Speaker, although it's to, to the best of my knowledge, everyone has been historically. But, technically, but we don't break with tradition very easily. Yeah, yeah. I, so I that's be, not likely to be that easily accomplished. I think you're right. I, I, I'd be totally shocked to see it happen. We're still think. thinking. But I've been shocked by a lot of things lately, so who knows? <laughs> Well, we we did have a former president who ended up sitting on the Supreme Court. Yeah, that's right. Yes, that was um, Taft. Nineteen twenty. Yeah. Nineteen twenty-one. Twenty-two. It was unusual, yeah, but that's yeah. but that's not heard of a former president playing a, a new and different role in government. But there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Everything was legal. He was appointed because. Of his service, of his uh, vision. This reminds yeah. me a little bit of the conversation we had about uh, uh, former uh, Detroit Police Chief James Craig when it turned out that he's not a certified police officer. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's surprising, but technically possible, I guess. So, I, yes. Uh, and as I say, by the way, speaking of other. Uh, uh, unprecedented events. I mean, Donald Trump was unusual in, in one other sense when he became president. He's the only president we've ever had who has had no 
prior governmental and or military service. I mean, every other president, and nearly every other candidate, of a major party at least, has had at least some governmental service of some kind or some significant military service. Uh, Trump was unique in the fact that he had neither when he became president. But remember, Americans at that time, when Trump was uh, running, Americans said, we're tired of the Washington establishment, the politician, the uh, longevity that they spend there. We need to do something different. And so now we get another look at that <laughs> situation. And we, 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 are, we are, uh, have more wisdom to judge these matters now. So. You know, there are all these provisions and what-ifs built into our system. And it just seems like um, we're testing them more. That's true. Yeah, I think there's mm-hmm. both the legal stuff and then, as I say, the, the traditions and the customs that have been in our habits are getting, are getting uh, either bent or broken in some cases. Well, like like we've seen with uh, lame duck in Lansing. Um, That's right. You know yeah, those well, lame. that that whole concept of of lame duck uh, appointments and and um, legislation was meant for extreme circumstances, but now it's it's become just part of overall strategy. In fact, very often the the number of bills passed in lame duck surpasses the number of bills passed in the normal session. And you're right, it was supposed to be kind of an emergency or exceptional case where some last-minute thing had to be done. But all of a sudden now, it's become, when there's no election on the horizon, it's become a a common way of working around the election process. Well, this has been a funny, uh, an odd kind of week in, in news as I was putting together my notes for this week. And I was like... Boy, that line between the regular headlines and the X-Files just gets thinner every week. <laughs> um, but uh, here's here's another one that's, you know, not, certainly not the norm. It's not unheard of. President Joe Biden confirmed on Thursday that he is mulling a U.S. diplomatic boycott of the upcoming Winter Olympics in Beijing. It's something we're considering, Biden told reporters in the Oval Office following a bilateral meeting with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. A senior administration official told CNN on Wednesday that Biden is not expected to attend the upcoming Olympics in China this February and that his administration is on the verge of implementing implementing a diplomatic boycott of the Games. The president has not signed off on having no government officials attend, the senior administration official cautioned on Wednesday, but discussions regarding the matter have all leaned in that direction. Hmm. Should the U.S. boycott the Beijing Olympics over suspected human rights violations? Hmm. We tried that with the Russians in what, 1980, I think it was. I don't know if it solved an awful lot. Uh, I, I'm thinking about that, too, because <clears throat> here you've got two powerful countries with their fingers on the red button. And this tends to divide us more. You might ask yourself, does it divide us more? Does it threaten us more? <clears throat> Could we do better? 
and is it true that Olympians do create long-term relationships with other Olympic Olympians who are different than they are? And I believe that that's true. Didn't these so discussions all start about the uh, um, uh, apparent disappearance of one of the Chinese? Uh, I think that has started. Yeah, I think so. But she's been found. Yes, yeah, she's, she's been seen. But and and again, this is one of those things where you know you really have to wonder about the the credibility of of the sources. Um, in the news, there still seems to be a question about whether or not, when she was found, she was moving about freely. Yeah, or whether some of the pictures they're running are old pictures, or are she's forced to pose certain ways so she looks like she's free. But yeah, uh, there's certainly some some major you know human rights issues there with China. But whether a boycott would 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 resolve any of that or even move in the right direction? I really don't know. Um, but when we talk about human rights, uh, please explain to me something. When we talk about human rights, uh, are we opposing human rights because we don't let in thousands of immigrants at our southwest border who, have, who are running from countries of destruction and the loss of rights and uh, food and stuff like that. Is that part of human rights that ought to be considered in these endeavors? If so, the United States um, are, are looked at in the same kind of way. Well, so and we I think that's why guys, we, we, I think that's why there's different treatment for um, people that can establish a claim of being a refugee. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I think maybe the the, the worrisome parallel is you, you, on one hand you don't want to draw a parallel to the what the 1936 Olympics where those Olympics kind of boosted Hitler's role in the world and, and all of that in that era, but on the other hand, as I say, even then would a boycott have made any big difference? I don't know. But we like the outcome of the 1936 or 37 Olympics. <laughs> That's we were true. dominant. We were yeah, dominant. You're exactly right. In fact, in some ways, that, that may have worked in the other direction. That's it went. It went very well for Jesse Owens. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and the others who participated. There were some other good ones in there. Yeah, uh, I think that there was an uh, a, a, a um, an Indian, uh, American, uh, American indigenous person. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Who? I think he was the man. He made all kind of records. Uh. I, I think it was his name. Yes, his last name was Thorpe. I can't think of his first name. Um, he was a runner. James uh, or John? Joe, maybe? James Thorpe. Uh, no, that's not right either. But I don't know why I can't think of it right. But yeah, but you're but right. We he, was, did a, he was Native uh, American. Yeah. And I think that uh, we had uh, good swimmers back then. I can't think of any of them uh, that I would recognized by history, through that history. But I do remember Thorpe, and I remember Jesse Owens. Not Jesse Owens, but... Uh. Well, Jesse Owens, certainly, because, you know, a, a black person performing well, 
in in, in Nazi Munich. Germany. Yeah, that was. Yeah, and Joe Lewis. Remember Joe Lewis? Oh yeah, he was in that era. That was his era too. Yeah. Well. This next one is not about Jesse Owens or uh, Joe Lewis. <laughs> a report detailing the findings of an impeachment investigation into former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is expected to be released to the public in the coming days, according to three members of the New York State Assembly Judiciary Committee. Members on Thursday and Friday reviewed the 45-page report detailing findings from the independent investigation into allegations against the Democratic former governor launched more than eight months ago. The report addresses topics including the sexual harassment allegations against Cuomo, discrepancies in reported deaths in nursing homes from COVID-19, Cuomo's pandemic leadership book deal, claims of the executive chamber's hostile work environment, and Cuomo's level of cooperation with the committee investigators according to one of the members, uh, Michael Montesano, who spoke with CNN. Montesano, a Republican from Long Island, said the report doesn't read positively for Cuomo, calling it thorough and fact-driven with evidence too strong for the former governor to deny. Investigators draw definitive conclusions in the report that are fair and adequate, Montesano told CNN. The former governor's legal counsel asked the Assembly Committee to allow them a preview of the evidence and report draft, which they have not received. Should these findings be released? How can you judge anything if you don't have any paperwork, you don't have any evidence, any proof? How can we, as people who look at this stuff... But he's resigned. See, I don't, he's I don't gone. know that. I can judge Cuomo. I have nothing except allegations. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as, as a public figure, and I mean, whether he's got any future in politics or not remains to be seen, but I, I, it's it's hard to make an argument that they, at least yeah. the core of those should, should not be released. Yeah, I, I think they ought to be. Well, I just I just wonder what the outcome of uh, releasing material like that really is in the long run. As I say, I, I would assume that Cuomo's career is done. That's, that's my impression right now. I, I can't imagine him having much of a future in politics, but who knows? Five or ten years from now, stranger things have happened. Well, uh, usually these things are uh, are held undercover for, I believe, 75 years. I think the John Kennedy's uh, death reports were, were, were secured for 75 years. Or was it 99 years? So that all everybody who is existing today will be dead. Hmm. I think that's what it was. 75 years, I think. I don't know. Any other, uh, any other thoughts? We've got about three or four minutes before we, uh, before we go to break. And, of course, after the break, we'll get into the X-Files in our, in our final thoughts. But... Um, since we have a couple minutes, anything uh, anybody want to bring up? Um, I mean, in, in general, I, I, one thing I'm going to be looking forward to is to see where the, city, the Flint City Council goes. I'm curious to see whether or not the uh, the good behavior they've had on that first meeting continues or whether we go back to the, the same old patterns in the past. And 
I well, there were a couple. There were a couple of things on your list, Paul, that I didn't have on my list. One was uh, uh, the COVID spike nationwide. Yeah, we're, and we're, in we're back to where we were in, in some of the worst days of the, by the in terms of the raw numbers, in terms of some of the worst days of the pandemic. I was struck. I think I saw a story last night that uh, somewhere in late June there were like a hundred and some hundred and ten new cases, and this past week or past weekend, there were some something like seven, more than 7,000 new cases popping up in Michigan all of a sudden. So, that, uh, But this is due to new, new findings of mutation. This is yeah, not the no. same as before. We're yeah, dealing I, with something different, and we, uh, we can't go back there. We've got to look somewhere else for the future answer. If yeah. it's mutation, it's somewhere else. And I think that that's what makes it so frustrating. I think we all thought, gee, we're going to be done with all this stuff in the last summer. And it looked like it for a while. But all of a sudden, here we are back again with, uh, at least in, in raw numbers, somewhat the same kind of a pattern. Yeah, but uh, they're, they're now vaccinating kids because mutations yeah. appear to show up in kids and they exactly. pass it on. So uh, we're, we're, and we need to be cautious and work deliberately and cautiously making sure that we dot the I's and cross the T's so that we don't, we're not misled. Take yeah. our time. Listen to the science. Yeah, I, I felt like we might have been uh, easing up the reins a little bit early. That seems to have been the case. We got, we got relaxed too quickly. What we celebrated that it was over last summer, we thought, and all of a sudden, bang, here we are doing the same thing again, almost the same thing in some ways. Uh, plus the fact, I guess, as Henry mentioned, that uh, in terms of the science, some of, those, some of those early vaccines that we got in January or February now are starting to wear off, and people mm -hmm. need to get boosters to keep, keep those things, uh, 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 keep, keep the immunization valid. I'm getting my booster on Monday at 11 o'clock. Oh, good move! I, yeah. we, we, we we got ours a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I got I got mine last Wednesday, and uh, I, I'm I'm tempted to knock on wood because I haven't had any side effects from any of the uh, uh, inoculations. And That's the same with me too. For and I've had a lot of friends complain. Oh, gee, I felt really sick for two days, and all, but no, I had no effects at all. And same with my wife; we had zero, essentially zero effects. <laughs> but I hope. Vaccinations. But I hope my condition is due to natural immunity rather than test tube immunity. Yeah. Natural uh, immunity is much better. If we were all exposed to COVID and what survived, that would give us a natural immunity. Well, we've got a break coming up here, and then we're going to come back do the X-Files, and we'll have some final thoughts at the, uh, at the end. Um, I, I will mention that the uh, the first X files or X files starts out with a bear in Florida. Um, <laughs> where else? Where else? <laughs> we've we've talked about Flint, Lansing, and Washington, and and, uh, and hell. We always try and squeeze Florida in during the X Files, but uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll have more of uh, this pre-Thanksgiving edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program coming up uh, after the break. Um, we're going to let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. We'll be right back. 
Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The Unknown Comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, armchair politics continues now on the Tom Sumner program with one of my favorite segments, the X Files. Those weird and wacky stories that uh, uh, are almost too strange to be true. A uh, bear in Florida <laughs> <laughs> had a plastic container removed from its head after nearly a month. Florida Fish and Wildlife officials announced on Monday that the bear was first sighted with the plastic container on its head in Collier County a while back, but disappeared from human sight for more than three weeks. But things recently came to a head after the bear was filmed by a resident's security camera, according to the department's Facebook page. A bear biologist managed to spot the 250-pound female bear around midnight and tranquilized it with a dart before removing the plastic container from around the animal's face. We think it was part of an automatic pet feeder due to the hole near the bear's muzzle, uh, according to this uh, Facebook post. Luckily, that hole provided enough access to drink and eat. Even after 28 days of wearing it, the bear was still in great physical shape. Although the bear did have a wound encircling her neck and face where the feeder was stuck, staff cleaned the injury and treated her with antibiotics. She was monitored for 36 hours before being released in a secure area of Picayune Strand State Forest. Should automatic pet feeders come with signs that read do not feed the bears or no bears allowed? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think the intent was good, but uh, nobody, had any, at least the people who tried this, had no experience with uh, that being locked around the bears. Well, yeah, I, th- yeah, I think the, I think what happened is I think the bear tried to get into a bird feeder or something, you know, yeah. squirrels or, you know, smaller animals, and, and that's what happened. Yeah. They'll always go after the food. But can you imagine that that ring around that handle would have cut through the body until it uh, did serious injury to his breathing apparatus? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would encourage people to uh, use bigger buckets or tubs or something like that, but not if you got if you got bear around, be cautious. 
if you like bears, some people don't like Although bears. It's, it's, it's hard to adjust your bird feeders to bear, to, to expect bears to show up, but they do, in yeah. some areas at least, yeah. Well, fact, didn't, didn't somebody, speaking of that, didn't, didn't, didn't we have an incident here in Genesee County where, I think it was out in Flint Township, somebody spotted a bear in their backyard at their bird feeder, and then I, I'm afraid the bear was, wasn't the bear hit on I-75? I think you're right. I think we, that this is, goes back some months. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's continue. A German shepherd in Florida named <laughs> Gunther spent a recent morning playing with his tennis ball, rolling in the grass, slobbering a little, and napping a lot. Later, he had a meeting with the real estate agents selling his Miami mansion that his handlers bought from Madonna. And, of course, Gunther was wearing his very best faux diamond dog collar for the meeting. His real gold collar is back at his main home in Tuscany. As crazy as it sounds, even by Florida standards, Gunther VI inherited his vast fortune, including the eight-bedroom waterfront home once owned by the Material Girl singer from his grandfather, Gunther IV. At least that's what the handlers who manage the estate say. The Tuscan-style villa with views of Biscayne Bay went on sale Wednesday for $31 million, a whopping markup from the purchase two decades ago from the pop star for $7.5 million. Mm. The home also boasts a gilded framed portrait of Gunther IV over the living room fireplace. The dog's lineage dates back decades to when Gunther III inherited a multi-million dollar trust from late owner German Countess Carlotta Liebenstein when she died in 1992. Since then, a group of handlers have helped maintain a jet-setting lifestyle for a succession of dogs. There are trips to the Milan and the Bahamas, where the latest Gunther recently dined out at restaurants every evening. His handlers like to make sure he's well socialized. Should I add Gunther to my Christmas card list? I yes. think so. It gives <laughs> kind of a new meaning to the phrase going to the dogs. <laughs> I guess. Well, let's see. Firefighters in upstate New York on Friday rescued a naked man who was stuck for several days inside the bathroom wall of a theater, fire officials said. The Syracuse Fire Department responded just after 7.30 a.m. to the Landmark Theater after employees heard someone banging on the wall and yelling for help. The department uh, posted this on their, their Facebook page. The adult male, who was not immediately identified, was believed to have entered the theater two or three days before, according to fire officials. It was not immediately clear how he was able to get behind the wall, according to the department. Firefighters with Rescue Company 1 drilled a hole in the wall and used a fiber optic camera to find the man's exact location in the wall, according to the department. After determining the best way to extract the man, officials said firefighters carefully cut through several layers of drywall and structural clay tile to reach him. The 39-year-old man was not wearing any clothes when firefighters freed him, <laughs> according to uh, Syracuse Fire Deputy Chief John Kane. 
The man was taken to Upstate University Hospital for treatment. Kane said the man appeared uninjured and would likely be treated for dehydrate, uh, dehydration. <laughs> Why would someone go to a theater naked? Uh, <laughs> no idea. People do strange things are stranger than fiction. <laughs> Here's another weird one. A... Uh, I think I got time to squeeze this in. I, I hate to let this one go. Um, a 29-year-old upstate New York man who covered himself in hand sanitizer burst into flames after police used a taser on him, according to a local report. Jason Jones had entered the village of Catskill Police Department last week and got into a confrontation with officers, the Times Union of Albany reported. Police told the paper that Jones, who was known to them from previous encounters, appeared intoxicated and officers used a taser to subdue him. It was unclear when Jones poured the hand sanitizer over himself and whether the officers witnessed him do it. Jones is in an intensive care unit at Upstate University Hospital in Syracuse, according to the paper. People familiar with the matter told the paper that his condition is grave. The incident is under investigation by the Greene County District Attorney's Office. How intoxicated does someone have to be to cover themselves in hand sanitizer? It says hand right in the name. <laughs> yeah, probably very intoxicated. <laughs> well, I thought that was kind of a weird That's... thing. <laughs> Strange story, strange story. Anyway, that wraps things up for uh, today's edition of uh, The X-Files and Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. And uh, um, I wasn't able to have a, a third chair, but it's it's always just so rewarding. And I'm, I'm so thankful for our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Thank you both. Yeah, Thank always you. good to be here. And Wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, as, a, as a last remark, may I throw this out? Sure. Uh, two issues I would like to encourage you to pay attention to. You've heard this before. The first issue is uh, the unmasking uh, in COVID. Uh, that issue will be settled by parents on high school campuses. Number two, the critical race theory will also at least be influenced will influence a solution from parents on high school campuses or decide a solution. So we need to pay attention to that. Uh, I don't see where that can go any other way. Well said, Henry, and thank you so much again for uh, um, for being here today. And Paul, thank to you. you. Happy Thanksgiving thank to both of you and to your families. Eat a piece of turkey for me. All right. <laughs> we'll do, Henry. Happy Thank you. Take care. Okay, bye. There's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, and I'll be back tomorrow with the Thanksgiving edition of the Tom Sumner program. And I hope that you will be too. Uh, tune us, tune us in while you're cooking your bird. <laughs> Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. 
most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.